Well, it is very good to be here this morning and to have the opportunity to share with you all just a little bit of my journey and where where the Lord has taken me and is leading me now. And some of the songs earlier, we're talking about a good, good father, and he is. He absolutely is. But sometimes in the midst of difficulties and struggles we face, which we all face them, it can be hard to see that. And so I hope that sharing with you some of my difficulties and coming out on the other end can help you with what you're going through. So I grew up, I was born here, and I grew up, but then we moved to South Carolina, and I lived a very normal life. I have two older brothers and a younger sister, and like I said, it was great. I loved biking and swimming and learned to play tennis, and life was great. Few medical problems, um, no vision problems. Everything was totally fine. So my mom homeschooled us through elementary school and middle school. And then when it came to high school time, we went into a smaller public high school. So my two older brothers had gone through high school. My younger of my two older brothers was still in high school. And then it was my turn, and I was so excited to finally be going to school. And so I was, I was in school. I was loving teachers, loving my friends, loving the classes. And then around... November of my freshman year, I started having trouble seeing the board in my classes. But my dad and sister both have glasses, so of course, we just thought I needed glasses. So we go to the eye doctor, and I have many tests done. And at that point, in one of my eyes, I couldn't even read the big E on the eye chart. And they finally said, we can't correct your vision with glasses. You need to go to an eye specialist in a bigger city. So I did, and tons of tests, a couple appointments at this eye specialist. And they finally say, you know, we don't think we'll find anything, but just to start ruling some things out, let's have an MRI done. So I go in this huge machine, and... We find out that I glasses aren't going to fix my vision because I have a brain tumor. And this brain tumor is the size of a softball, and that's what was causing the vision loss as it was pushing on my optic nerve. And a surgery was scheduled pretty much immediately because they wanted to do what they could to fix the problem as fast as they could. And they told us it was going to take at least a couple surgeries because they wanted to get what they preserve as much of my vision as possible. And they're telling us all these possible side effects were in way over our heads. Well, so surgery was scheduled for December of that year. I was hoping and praying to be home for Christmas. And Praise the Lord, I was. I came home Christmas Eve. Now, 
we found out one of the huge side effects. Thankfully, because of this side effect, I don't remember any of this, but I've heard stories. So one of the side effects was my short-term memory. Well, so I was home for Christmas, which, again, I loved. But I've heard that I would open all my gifts, and we kept, like, a little pile. But then every five minutes I would ask, is this gift for me? Who is it from? And we can joke about it now and say, it was like having Christmas every five minutes, you know? It was great. (laughs) But I'm sure it was a very difficult time for everyone because I would repeat questions, I would repeat everything. But because of the size of the tumor, another surgery was done just a couple of months later, and I think it was February, to remove the rest of the tumor. They believed they had it all, and a couple of months later, I started homebound teaching where teachers came to my house, and I was able to get caught up with my class, finished, finished for the year, and I had a great summer. I, we came out here to Minnesota, and it was, it was great. And I was so ready to go back to school, probably one of the only high school students who was ready to go back to school. So the start of my sophomore year, a couple weeks in, all the symptoms came back. I couldn't remember where my classes were. I couldn't see the board again. And we scheduled another MRI, and the tumor had returned. So... Surgery was scheduled for September 2nd, 2008. All the same possible side effects, you know, same thing. But this time, I came out of the surgery unable to see. We, the doctors talked to my parents, and a fourth surgery was done just a couple of days later to try to repair the problem. But it was, it was too late, and the damage was permanent. And, you know, I had so many hopes and dreams and plans, and now I had to relearn everything. There's a scripture that says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. And, like I said, it was hard to always feel his presence during those difficult times, but we know, we know deep down that he's always with us, even when he seems distant. So, going back to school was incredibly difficult because everything, everything changed. Everything was different. So I had an aide that went with me from class to class, because I had no idea at that point how to use a cane. I had to learn how to do school auditorily and tactilely instead of visually, like I had always done. Then, of course, I had to learn the crazy things they call braille and cane travel, which is a whole other ballgame. And then there's the whole concept of friends. My friends weren't sure of how to handle someone who is different and can't see, and what do we do? So my friends became the teachers who worked with me, and uh, my adult peers, rather than the 
people who had been my friends. I was so excited when graduation finally came and to be done with that chapter of life. But what now? So I knew I had always had the dream of going to college and had plans of being a teacher and you know, had it all planned out. But I, I didn't have the skills I needed and I knew that. So that's what brought me out to Colorado. I heard about this school they had called the Colorado Center for the Blind, where they teach you four main classes, home management, technology, braille, and travel. So I went out there and I learned those four classes and it was intense, intense training. Every day I'd have those classes and it was, it was hard with the short-term memory loss and just different things we had to learn to adjust the classes and it was hard. But at the end of those classes, and having some scars on my knees with the travel and those different things, I fell in love with Denver and came back telling my parents, I want to stay out here and go to school. But that's when we realized that I really needed a little more help than I could do on my own with school. So um, they ended up coming out, he out there as well, which was fantastic. But I, I do want to challenge all of you to, to find, to know deep down that the Lord is with you in whatever difficult situation you're facing. And also, I'm sure you all see people with disabilities on a daily basis and people who are different than you on a daily basis. And just try to look at them in a different way. And no matter where God has you right now, he can and will use you in a very powerful and mighty way. And we just need to be open to whatever that is and seek his face for what that is. And a scripture that's really been on my heart recently as far as that whole idea goes is Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, which says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, but to give you a hope and a future. Whatever that plan entails, I know my plans certainly, certainly changed. But whatever that plan is, we need to remember that he's always with us and he'll never leave us. I'm right here. I'm going to grab the grill. I got it. Yeah. I do. Janet's handing me my watch because she's worried that I may go long. <laughs> it's probably an appropriate worry. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, Emily, uh, today, she's, I, I will tell you that she did something a little different today. She um, has that braille edge and all her notes are in there and she normally uses that um, to share. But a couple of weeks ago, or not a couple of weeks ago, a couple of times ago, she 
her braille edge wasn't working right, so she just kind of shared from her heart. And we all said, you know what, that's as, that's as good if not better than your notes. So she had the braille edge up here today, but she was kind of free, free-winging it. And, and, um, and as a result, it was phenomenal. But, but she didn't give a highlight there that I just want to mention. She, yes, she did go to college. She did go to college at Metropolitan State University in Denver, Colorado. And she graduated this May with like a 3.8 GPA. So she won't toot her own horn, but dads are good at that, so I'll do that for her. I want to share a little bit when we, first of all, first of all, I want to say this. Um, What Pastor Joel said about Elvin and Marlene is not surprising that they would be so well respected here. we, I'm blessed to have incredible mother and father-in-law. And I know that when we were going through this, they shared with some of the key people here at Gateway Church. So I want to just thank you um, for those of you who have prayed for our family and for Emily um, down through the years, and especially you know, back around 2007, 8, and 9 when all of this was really starting to, to, to be walked through. And, and it, it's so incredibly humbling to know that people are praying for you um, I'm a pastor, and so I'm normally on the other side of it. Our family's normally on the other side of it. We're ministering to people. We're praying for people. We're believing for people. And, um, and when the role is kind of reversed, at first you're not sure how to respond. And um, you're, you're kind of taken aback. The wind's knocked out of your sails for a minute, and all of a sudden you can't revert back to pastor mode. Suddenly you're in a mode where you need people praying for you. And it's humbling, and yet it's so encouraging because we knew we had people praying literally all across the nation, and this was one of the places we knew there were people here at Gateway Church that were praying for us. And um, I just thank you for that and, and, and let you know that that was incredibly, uh, greatly appreciated. Um, Pastor Joel asked that not only would Emily share, but if I would share also and share from a, a, a parent's perspective of what it was like to walk through this. And it... it I'm going to lead us into the book of Job, so if you have your Bibles with you, you can turn to Job chapter 1, and we'll get there in just a moment. Um, And the reason we're going to go there is because I'm I'm going to explain that. That's where I went. But it was a very unique situation, in a sense, for us, and both my wife and I probably handled it differently. Um, I was immediately realizing that maybe in the course of, of... my years of ministry, at that point I'd been in pastoral ministry probably 25, 20, 25 years, that maybe in all the times that I was called upon to minister to people going through great trials and tribulations, that I perhaps was much too quick to give flippant answers. And, and, and I realized as I walked through this that some of the answers perhaps I had told people, some of the things I had counseled people, I'd wished I could go back maybe and and I realized that it wasn't so much what I said, but it's just knowing that people were praying and knowing that there was a God you could go to. And as I walked through this, this time as, as a parent and realized, number one, that this is one of those times when you can't do anything as a parent. You're so used to fixing. You're so used to you know, um, patting them on the back and saying, it'll be all right, and, and um, you know, uh, fixing the boo-boo. And all of a sudden you're in a situation where this is one you can't fix. There's nothing you can do as a parent. You, you, you can't really pat them on the back and just say, it'll be all right, Emily. You know, okay, you're blind now. You're 15 years old and you just lost your vision, but hey, it'll be all right. You can't do that. And, um, 
And so all of a sudden you're in a very vulnerable position. And I, and I, and I realize this, um, even today as I stand before you, that even as we have this privilege to minister to you today, this isn't, this isn't really ultimately about Emily's story or, or my story. This is ultimately about your story. Because some of you already know this, some of you maybe have not yet reached it, but there is every single individual in this room that either has, is, or will go through a trial or a tribulation that is bigger than what you can normally handle. The Bible tells us in John chapter 16, in this world you will have tribulations. It doesn't say maybe you will or you might, it says in this world you will have tribulations, but be of good cheer. For I have overcome the world. And, and so in the, midst of the, in the midst of the situation, what I found is I found myself going up at night, night after night, into my office area, the bonus room at our home, which was kind of above the garage, and, and just really pressing in and saying, God, what is this all about? And I found myself going to the book of Job. Now, the book of Job is a very interesting book, 42 chapters. And I just want to read a couple, of, a couple of things from the book of Job. I'm going to attempt to be short, but hopefully leave you with something when you're going through your trial, your tribulation that you can glean from. Because Job, of course, we know the story, most of us do at least, he probably went through some of the greatest testing and trials any human being can go through. And the Bible tells us really ultimately what it was all about right in the very first chapter, Job chapter one, verse six. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, well, I've come from roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. But Satan answered the Lord and said, well, does Job fear God for nothing? You can almost hear the sarcasm dripping from the the powers of darkness. Does Job fear God for nothing? Because after all, you've made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has and on every side. You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But if you put forth your hand now and touch all that he has, he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your power, only do not pour forth your hand on him. And so Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. And the story continues that the enemy, Satan, the powers of darkness began to attack Job. He lost all of his possessions. He lost all of his children. They all died. And eventually, of course, he he lost his health as well. And so I found myself going to the book of Job during this time over and over again, not because I thought our circumstances were Job's. I'm not making us out to be martyrs like that. His situation is really hard to top, but because I recognize that if it's in the word of God, if the example of Job is in the word of God, it's meant to be an example for every one of us when we're going through trials and tribulations, and I was, I was you know, knocked off my game, so to speak, put, you know, put in a position where all of a sudden, Lord, I'm not sure. I, I need to know. What do I need to do here? I was going through the sorrows and the, the difficulties any parent would, and so I went to the book of Job, and it's 42 chapters long, But I came away with four key statements that Job made during this time that became a source of strength to me. And I'm going to share these four with you in the next, what do I got, like 10 minutes. I'm going to be quick, try to be quick. But I don't want to rush through this because it's not important. In fact, I'm hoping, I don't normally say this when I bring a word, but I'm hoping maybe you even take notes today. Not because what I'm saying is so important, but because what the word of God says. Because I'll say it again. 
we went through, our family, we felt like we were the, 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 the pre-tribulation Job. I mean, we felt like we were blessed. We, the, the church we had the privilege to pastor was, was growing and doing well. Our family was incredibly healthy. You know, we were in, in kind of, you know, prime time of life. I was, you know, 40 some years old and just everything seemed to be going so well and all of a sudden this amazing difficult tribulation occurred. And I'm telling you, every human being goes through things. I know some of you here today are going through them, so let these maybe be a source for you. Number one is this. It's found in Job chapter one. The very first statement of Job is he's going through, he has just lost all of his children. They all have died. He has just lost all of his possessions. They've all been taken by natural disaster or catastrophes. We know the natural disaster was the attack of the enemy, but they're all gone. And it records in verse number 20 that after all this has happened, it says, then Job arose, tore his robe, so he's grieving, shaved his head and fell to the ground and worshiped. Yes, worshiped. It says in verse 20, he fell to the ground and worshiped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I shall return. The Lord gave, now the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And as I read that, up in the bonus room there above the garage, working through my own grief, I realized this. Worship is always the right response. Now let me say that again. Worship is always the right response. Because God is worthy of worship not based upon my circumstances. Not based upon how good things are going for me personally or how difficult things are going for me personally. The worthiness of God does not change in the midst of my circumstances. His worthiness remains the same. He is God, he is holy, he is high, and he is worthy to be praised. No matter what is occurring in my personal life. Now theologically that sounds good and perhaps theologically I already knew that. But there comes those testing times when somehow worship is so much easier when everything is going well. When everything is, is progressing good in life. And you can come into a worship service and they're singing about the goodness of God. And, and it's like, well, yes, he is amazingly good. But then sometimes when it's not going so well, worship we find incredibly difficult. But we have to understand that worship is always the right thing to do. It's the central, in fact, it is the central core response. In fact, it is exactly what everything Job went through was about. Everything we go through in life ultimately is about our worship. Think about that for a moment. That was the central issue that they were dealing with in the book of Job. Will Job worship God? even when God does not make sense. And so I had my time of wrestling with that. Janet has shared many times, and she's shared how worship brought her through it. And in fact, how she'd be listening to the, on the radio to, to Christian radio, and the right song would just come up right at the right time. And I would echo that statement. I, I found myself in that, that, that my, the upper room there in the garage, and I'd, I'd put on worship music, and inevitably, as I would begin to worship, God would grow bigger, and Emily's situation and problems would grow smaller, because he's a great God. The second thing I found from the book of Job was a statement in Job chapter 10.
And it's where Job says, he says this, he says, or Job chapter 13, I'm sorry. Job chapter 13. Verse number 15. And it kind of ties in similar, but he says this, though God slay me, yet I will hope in him. Though God slay me, yet I will hope in him. And I came away from, from that, and I, this is what I came with. I said, no matter what the circumstances are, I'm going to trust God. Now, praising him is one thing, but it's another thing to trust him, because when you're going through the circumstance, your trust is kind of shaken for a minute. Well, this is the God who I put my hope in, and all of a sudden, things aren't going the way I expected them to go. And so, so Job is confronted with this, and he's saying, even though he slays me, yet I will trust him in the midst of it. And I will not run from God, but in fact, I will run to God. And my personal tribulation is not going to be, now listen to this for a minute, my personal tribulation and what my daughter's personal tribulation, our family's personal tribulation, is not going to be a time in my life where a tombstone appears. And what I mean by that is it's not going to be a time, now I had a choice to walk in this or not, and as a pastor, some of the fact that I had been in a position of counseling and ministering to people going through problems was actually very helpful in this because one of the things I had seen that a certain number of people, when they went through very difficult times that they could not explain, and that God seemed to be not making any sense at all, is that they walked away from that, and that became a tombstone in their spiritual life. It's as if this is the place that their spiritual life died. This is the place where, yes, they didn't necessarily fall away from the Lord you know, and renounce him, but they're walking with him in trust, they're walking in him in faith, they're walking with him in a relationship that had life to it, it died. And so it became, it became for many individuals, I saw it became a tombstone, and I remember thinking, God, this is, this is really a test for me spiritually. Is this going to be a place where, no, I would never lose my faith, I, I, you know, I know who God is, and I would never renounce him and turn away from him, but is this the place where, you know what, I no longer preach faith. I no longer preach that you can trust God. I no longer, I no longer believe personally that I can count upon him in times of trouble, that he will be there as, I, as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that somehow he's left the building. Is this going to be a tombstone, or is this going to be a stepping stone? Do I kick over the tombstone that the enemy has erected and said, hey, this is going to be the place where you kind of, your relationship with God kind of goes on hold? Or do we kick that tombstone over, we step on it, and we say, no, this is going to be the place that though he slay me, yet I will trust in him. Though nothing makes sense, I'm going to run to God, I'm not going to run from him. Now again, this, this preaches real well in hindsight, but if you're in the midst of something right now, just as we were in the midst of something in our family, it becomes a real question. Am I going to continue to trust God? And then the third, the third one that stands out to me from the book of Job is one that we've heard before. This is a great scripture, Job chapter 19. And this point is simply this, Jesus ultimately overcomes. 
Job makes this statement again in the very midst of all that's taking place in his life. In verse number 25 of Job number 19, he says, But as for me, as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives. And at the last, he will take his stand on the earth. And I remember when I came to that scripture, and I'd heard it before, I've heard that sung before, but you know how it is. It's just kind of just another one of the verses out there. But I remember coming to that verse and saying, yes. Yes, no matter what I see, I know Jesus Christ is ultimately in charge. He ultimately has the victory. He will indeed overcome. And I thought back to John chapter 16, where Jesus says, this word I give to you that you might have peace In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. I have overcome. What does Job say? He says, I know, I know my Redeemer lives. I know he lives. Everything speaks contrary to God being sovereign in this situation, but I know my Redeemer lives, and at the last, he will take his stand. Now, recognize a couple of things here theologically that are pretty profound. Job is speaking in the Old Testament. In fact, most Bible scholars believe Job was living long before Moses and the law and all of that, that this is one of the earliest humans who was living after the the Garden of Eden. This is is long before most of the prophetic prophecies concerning a redeemer. Notice what he says, I know my redeemer lives. Job is speaking literally prophetically under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit about the coming Christ, which hasn't even been revealed yet through most of the the Old Testament or through the Old Testament saints. So in the midst of his trials and tribulation, he is looking forward under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the coming of Christ and saying, I know my Redeemer lives, and at the last, he will take his stand. And so... And, and as I share the, those, these three points, this is the last one. In fact, I'm going to ask Janet. If you would, you would come up, Janet's going to minister a song here in just a minute. I don't want you to think that these three points I've got really grounded in. I preach it better than I live it. <laughs> I still struggle with these things. But I know. I know it better today. I know it better today because we've gone through some of this stuff that my Redeemer wins in the end. He overcomes. Yes, there's tribulation, but I have overcome the world. My Redeemer lives. He rules and he reigns. And I've gone back. I grew up in the Lutheran church, so I grew up reciting the Lord's Prayer every, every Sunday. Part of catechism class, I went to Lutheran high school in Minneapolis. We'd, we'd say the Lord's Prayer all the time. So I grew up learning about the Lord's Prayer. Well, as I, as I entered into ministry and, and different things, I left, our, left the Lutheran Church. Our family left the Lutheran Church, and I got involved in some independent charismatic churches, pastored independent charismatic churches, pastored some Baptist churches. I'm pastoring an independent Bible church in Denver right now, co-pastoring. And all of those are non-liturgical, so I kind of got away from the Lord's Prayer. But... Um, in, in the church in Denver where I'm pastoring, when I came there, and like I mentioned, a co-pastor, the pastor there is, he's got a little bit of a liturgical bent, so he's bringing the church a little bit back into some of the liturgy. So we say the Lord's Prayer every Sunday. And I've realized the Lord's Prayer, number one, is incredibly powerful. I, 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 I would encourage you all, if you haven't memorized, memorize it. Jesus gave it to the church. But there's something really interesting that happens in the Lord's Prayer concerning the reign of Christ. 
because it, it starts out, of course, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Which is a prayer for the kingdom of God to come. It's a prayer looking to the future and saying, Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on this earth even as it is in heaven. But then when you get to the end of the Lord's prayer, how does it end? For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. So it's got this very interesting juxtaposition in the Lord's prayer. It opens with a cry for the kingdom of God to come, looking to the future, kind of like Job was saying, in the last, at the end, you will take your stand, and yet making a declaration at the end of the Lord's prayer that the kingdom of God has already come. Now how do we, what do we work through that theologically? Well, I think it's just a reminder, and that's why it's so powerful to pray it daily. It's a reminder that we as Christians are living in this this really interesting period of time, post-resurrection of Christ, but pre-second coming. And we know it is second coming, the kingdom will be fully implemented in all of its glory. We know in heaven it's already fully implemented. That's why we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth, even as it is in heaven. And yet... It's not here fully, so we're in this d- divine dynamic of time where we, the kingdom is now, but it's not yet. Let your kingdom come, and yet for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. And what's that tell us? It tells us that as we walk through this life, tribulations will come. The enemy will be able at times to buffet us. All the perfection of the, the glories of heaven are not yet here. But we never lose sight of the victory that's already been gained by the death and the resurrection of Christ and the tomb is empty and we have the ability to plug into the power of God and believe that his kingdom is gonna come on my life, Emily's life, on this earth, even as it is in heaven. I pray it daily. Lord, let your kingdom be done in my life today, even as it is in heaven. And it's not fully here yet, but it's coming. It's coming. And so the book of Job, 42 chapters in 20 minutes. (laughs) There's a lot more there. I encourage you to go into it.